Is there power in the name of Jesus? <laughs> there are times you wonder. I would say that there are times when it feels like that pressure is coming in so intensely, you wonder, is God at the mercy of evil or is it evil at the mercy of God? But is there power in the name of Jesus? Yes, yes there is. And today we're going to look at what I believe is an important aspect to prayer, which is understanding that there is a spiritual battle that is going on even as we sit here that is beyond the physical realm. And it requires understanding the power of Jesus' name. And we're going to go to the book of Luke, and we're going to be in chapter 10. And so if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn there. And then we're going to eventually turn to Acts chapter 19. And so if you do not have a Bible, our ushers would be glad to provide you one. And uh, just simply put your hand up. And if you do not own a Bible, please take this as a gift from us. First time. There's always a first time for everything, including the understanding that there is a spiritual realm that is beyond the physical. I was 18 years old. It was Halloween of my senior year of high school. My friend and I decided that for that night, we would go to this Christian concert that was free in the parking lot of a shopping center. The band that was playing that night was a band named White Cross. For those of you that have been around Christian music any length of time and you lived the 80s like I did, uh, White Cross was a Christian metal band. Yes, that does exist. If you don't know what metal is, then that just tells you what line of, uh, of, of heritage you come from spiritually. Um, but, uh, but so my friend and I went to a Christian metal uh, band concert, White Cross, Believing Group, and it's Halloween night. So keep the context, please. As we're watching the shows going on and we're enjoying the, the music and I'm throwing my mullet around as, I, as best as I can. <laughs> it, was, it was truly a lot of fun. But then the tone of the service or the, the show changed because he began to share of his own personal testimony of how, what Jesus did in his life. And then they began to sing this ballad that was much softer and different from the other songs they sang, but this one was very focused on the blood of Jesus Christ. While we were listening to this song, a girl that was similar age to myself and my friend, who was standing directly in front of me, all of a sudden falls to the ground during that song and begins screaming. As she's screaming on the ground, her screams changed to more of something I would describe like that of a screech. I had no idea what was going on. It caught me by surprise. The song is still playing, but my friend and I, both of us, 18 and 17 years old, are standing there, and we felt ill-equipped in the moment to know what is going on with this girl that is on the ground. Two adults that were clearly youth workers from a youth group that was off to our right run over and immediately start praying. And the first words out of the man's mouth, because it, it appeared as a husband and wife team, the first thing to come out of his mouth was, in Jesus' name. First words. But then he said, in Jesus' name, come out of her. Again, 18 years old, never seen, heard, 
seen anything like that ever in my life. And in that moment, when he said that, she grew calm. I could see her face. Her face changed from terror to peace. They got her up, and she quietly wept a little bit. And then, at the end of the service, she gave her life to Jesus Christ. I'm just an audience. I had nothing to do with the moment other than being given audience to something God was doing there. So whatever naivety I may have had before that moment about the spiritual realm being in existence or that it's just stories you might read in the Bible, gone. My little perfect window of how life is was shattered. It was a real thing for me now to realize that there is something beyond what I can see and beyond what I can hear. But another thing happened in that moment. My friend and I talked and compared notes. It's like, did you notice how in the moment when he said in Jesus' name, there was like authority that happened over whatever was in her, okay, our language, whatever was in her, there was authority that was shown in that moment. And it was like at attention immediately. And then when the command came to come out, there was immediate response. So we learned a couple things, that the spiritual realm is real and going on while the physical realm we're living in is happening. Secondly, that the power of Jesus' name is not to be taken lightly. In Luke 10, you are going to see a story of the apostles. Now, at this point in time, there aren't the 12. They're there, but they're a part of a group of 72. And they're being given an opportunity to go and practice what they've learned. They've been walking with Jesus. They've watched him heal the sick. They've watched him cast out demons. They've watched him teach. They have seen all the mentoring and modeling they could possibly hope for. And then that moment comes when Jesus says, okay, your turn. Your turn. And then they're like, uh, you know, <laughs> really? Not, not us. Why don't you go with us? No, I'm sending you out. So he's sending them out. And they have to deal with the realities of they're going now without their mentor. So they think. So I want us to look in the first three verses of chapter 10 a little bit the context of what's going on. Because their little perfect world is about to become undone as well. Now, they are realizing that there's power in Jesus and that he is, has authority over, you know, demons, but they themselves are about to learn that there is a mission that God has us on in Jesus' name. So first three verses of chapter 10, which is found on page 724 in the Bible's handed out. After this, the Lord appointed 72 and sent them out two by two, ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. Just go. Interesting. So they're being told 
to go away from Jesus and represent him in all the towns he's about to go to. But now they're without him. So you got to keep in mind that the tension there. We're being sent for the first time and we're being sent to the towns Jesus is about to go to, but nonetheless, without him. Another thing that's, that he says in there that is fascinating is that he gives them words of encouragement by saying, I'm sending you like lambs out among the wolves. All right, so you already have the tension that they're being sent away for the first time to represent Jesus without him. Then he says, and by the way, you're going like lambs among wolves. Now that analogy rests very in, intentional upon them because it's an agricultural uh, environment that they're from, and the lamb is the most vulnerable of all animals. Very vulnerable. And then the wolf is the most ferocious. So he's saying, go, and you're going without me, and I'm sending you like lambs among wolves. Great. Love the assignment, Jesus. I'm excited about this. We're going to go get devoured. This is not a pregame pep talk by a coach that would work. I mean, imagine a football coach saying to his team before they take the field, we're lambs, they're wolves. Go do your job. Doesn't work. But in this case, Jesus doing what his divine thing is, he says this to them to go out and say, you are going to hostile territory but I want you to go nonetheless. So they go. He gives them a few more instructions, but they go. They return in verse 17. So let's pick up there. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Do you hear it in the tone? They go out, they're expecting to be devoured. And they expect to, like, basically just say, hey, Jesus is coming, and then keep moving on. Jesus is coming, move on. No, what they ended up experiencing is that the very things they saw Jesus do, they were now doing in his name. Really important to hear that. In his name, Lord, in your name, even the demons submit to us. Jesus responds to them in this way, verse 18. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Fascinating. So they experienced something for the first time. Now, they had, wasn't, weren't experiencing the same thing I experienced on that night where I saw the demonic realm evidence for the first time. No, they had seen that because they'd seen it with Jesus. But what they hadn't experienced is what I saw with that husband and wife that came over to that girl on the ground and knew what to do in Jesus' name. So they had seen it modeled, and now they're going to do it. What will be the outcome? And what they experienced amazed them and created excitement. In fact, they were mostly amazed by this, that even demons, the most powerful creatures that they'd ever evidenced that Jesus dealt with, that these demons submitted to them because of Jesus' name. 
So this caused this amazement, this joy to exude, which if you've ever been a part of it, where God used you to, in Jesus' name, cast out a demon, imagine the wonder and awe you would have. For them, they were amazed. And Jesus then responds with a little bit of a celebration of his own when he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In other words, Jesus celebrates the moment was seeing visually the idea that Satan and his kingdom is about to crumble. Keep in mind, this is just months ahead of his death and resurrection. And so the fact that now the Holy Spirit is now empowering others in Jesus' name to accomplish the same thing Jesus was doing, Satan's story is about to unfold and that he loses and that he is going to have an end, and it's coming soon. And so Jesus celebrates the moment saying, Satan has fallen, and it's because of what has now been given to you. So he gives them authority on this earth, verse 19, to even overcome all the dark forces of this world. He gives them authority in Jesus' name. And, and then he says, but when you celebrate, don't celebrate that they submitted to you. So celebrate that they submitted to you in Jesus' name, which that name then gives you a name that's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So because of Jesus' name, our names are included in heaven. And that is to be celebrated. And so when they're being in awe of what's happening in this realm and the spiritual realm, but here on this earth, Jesus says, but celebrate that you bear my name because that means your names are written in heaven. It was a game changer for them. They realized now that, that Jesus had empowered them to do the same ministry they'd observed in him. So now I want us to turn to the book of Acts, chapter 19, which is page 773 in the Bibles that were handed out. The cross has now happened. The resurrection has now happened. And the church has begun to grow as the, the name of Jesus is spreading to the Roman world of that time. And so the gospel is showing roots in Asia Minor and in Italy and in the Middle East as the gospel is, is being shared. The good news about Jesus is growing. And it's growing because of the power of Jesus' name. It was being manifest as they went to new areas. God would show that there is power in this name. This is a different name than any other name you've encountered. And so in that, there were some amazing things that happened that are hard to fathom, quite frankly. Beginning in verse 11 of chapter 19. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. I'm just going to stop there for a moment. How's that on your strange factor meter? I mean, that's, I mean, if you've never read the Bible before and you read that, you're probably thinking, ah, oh, that's just a book I can't trust. I mean, an apron or a handkerchief that would go to somebody else that, that, that literally because it touched Paul is now healing somebody else. I'll never forget when I was about 10 or 11 years old. We received a letter in the mail. My parents received it, and it was from an evangelist that, that you would all know the name of, and I'm going to keep the name out. But this evangel evangelist 
had said that he had cried on this piece of cloth that was in the letter. And it was a little piece of sackcloth inside the letter. And he says, I've shed a tear on that piece. And if you just place it on somebody that is sick, they will be healed. Now, my parents read it and just thought it was very strange. I read it and was very curious. Does this work? Again, 10 or 11 years old, right? So I took the cloth when my parents weren't around and I, I had a cut on my arm. <laughs> Started rubbing it on the cut and like looking, all right, does it work? Nope, cut's still there. Doesn't work. So I wrote off that evangelist, okay? Just being honest, I'm 10 or 11 years old. I was like, that's just a bunch of baloney. And that's how I received it. And so from that point on, I just thought things like this were impossible. But then I read here that things like that do happen. So imagine if that was becoming possible or was happening within our area. Where word was getting out that such things were happening because of a particular messenger of God. Do you think crowds would begin to show up in mass? Do you think people that are sick would be saying, you know what, this sounds really strange to me, but I am desperate. I'll go. Yes, that's what was going on, is that masses were showing up around the disciples because God had given them authority over darkness. And as a result, there were many things that were happening that were otherworldly and, and were hard to explain. And so power, what you need to hear in this is power draws crowds. We're infatuated with power. If we see that there's something being manifested that's pretty powerful, we're drawn to it. We're drawn to it. And when we see that power revealed and we begin to see how that, that, that individual that maybe that power is exuding from, we begin to see that they're, we like the attention they're receiving. And so popularity of power appeals to us. But it primarily appeals to our pride. So power draws crowds, but popularity of that power will appeal to your pride. Look what happens in verse 13. Again, this is going on. All the gospels growing throughout the region and that part of the world. And so some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord, Jesus, over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. So let me stop there for a moment. So you've got all this incredible stuff going on. I mean, handkerchiefs, aprons, or, or people being you know, set free from demonic oppression and possession. And, and, and imagine like how much that would appeal to somebody who's a leader. Sceva was the chief high priest, and his sons were in line to become, one of them's going to become the priest, but they're all going to be high-ranking officials in Judaism. So when they begin to see that there's a greater movement outside of them, they decide to mimic it, co-opt it for themselves. Let's see if we can receive the same power and Therefore, the same popularity. Therefore, we can lead a movement. See, it appealed to their pride. But here's an important thing to understand. You can see by the way they prayed 
In the name of the Lord Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come out. You see that they knew about Jesus, but they did not know Jesus. And that's an important distinguishing trait in this. Because up to this point, verse 13 begins with saying that people like the sons of Sceva had been successful at casting out demons. All right? They were successful. This was not the first time these sons of Sceva, it implies in the text, they had been practicing this and had clearly been successful. So what that means then is that even though they did not know Jesus, the power of Jesus' name was sufficient. Okay, so the power of Jesus' name was incredibly powerful that even somebody who did not know him could use his name and accomplish incredible things. But one thing that they didn't count on is that in the spiritual realm, there are rankings. There is different degrees of power within the demonic realm and in the angelic realm. So let's keep going because you'll see what happens is that while they had been successful before, in this moment, they were not successful. So they had said, you know, um, that in Jesus' name whom Paul preaches, right? So on verse 15, it says, On one day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all, and he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. <laughs> so true. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. So, again, not all demons are equal. And they found out about this. But it's really important then to understand that there is a significant difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. And that in regards to the demons, that when you utilize the name of Jesus, you must realize that that is wielding a very powerful tool. Jesus' name must be handled with great care. His name is to be honored and feared by both believers and non-believers. In verse uh, 17 there, where you see that, that from that point on, the Jews and the Greeks, the unbelievers realize, oh, okay, this isn't child's play. This isn't something to mess with. This is dangerous territory. Jesus' name is a name you have to be careful with. It's to be held in high honor. No small thing to, be, to have learned, but they learned it through the humiliation of the sons of the priest. Sometimes our learning of awareness happens through failure. I don't know if the sons of Sceva ever became followers of Jesus Christ. They weren't at this point, but perhaps later after learning it. When was the first time you realized, or maybe you've never realized, that the spiritual realm is real to go along with the physical realm that we all engage in? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says this. 
Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So our struggle and our battle that we might think is physical and is just what we can see with our, and experience with our five senses actually goes beyond. These are God's words, not mine. Our struggle isn't against the flesh and blood that we can see. It is literally against things that we cannot see. Powers of this dark world. But it also says that because once we become aware of that, our response is to pray differently. This is a series on prayer. And I think we often think that we pray according to the physical realm, that that's enough. The reality is, is there's a spiritual realm going on, and it should affect how we pray. Verse 18 of chapter 6. So after having said the statement of, of struggling against flesh and blood is beyond into the spiritual realms, he says this and concludes the thought with saying, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. You, do you hear what he says? Once you realize that it's not just the physical realm, but it's also the spiritual, that when we pray, we need to pray in the spirit and we need to be alert. We need to be alert and never give up praying for each other because there is an enemy who is active constantly around us. But again, in Jesus' name, this is not something to be feared, but something to be aware of and that we can invoke upon the Lord that his name for the sake of the battles that we catch ourselves being in. So we pray in the spirit on all occasions. It's time to lose the naivety that it's just physical when we pray, but rather it's spiritual. There may not be a better example of when this breaking point happened for an individual in Scripture than found in 2 Kings chapter 6, which will be on the screen. The context is this. Elisha is now the prophet of God speaking into Israel. Israel's physical enemy is, are the Arameans. The Arameans were a much greater army. They are a much uh, more intense and capable army of destroying Israel. But God kept giving Elisha the plans of the Arameans. So no matter what the Arameans planned to do, the Israelites knew how to respond because Elisha was thwarting the plans through the word of the Lord. So they were going to a particular valley, the Israelites were. What they didn't know is there was an entrapment about to happen. The Arameans were going to annihilate them. But God spoke to Elisha, and Elisha spoke to the king of Israel, saying, don't go to that valley, there's a trap. The Arameans kept seeing their plans thwarted over and over and over again. So finally the king says, who is dishonoring me? Who is the spy among us? And one of the servants says, none of us are, my Lord. It's that prophet of Israel 
that keeps telling Israel what you're about to do. For some reason, he's able to know what you've even said in your own bedroom. This enraged the king. This enraged him. He says, well, let's go take out Elisha then, and then we can take out Israel. So he takes an army and surrounds the little town that Elisha lived in. So it's just a tiny little town, big, massive army. This happens overnight. This is where we pick up the story. When the servant of Elisha got up and went out early in the morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more... more than who's come against us. So then he prays, God, help my servant see what I can see. Take away the blindness of his own eyes and let him see your presence here. So as to the request of the prayer, God takes back the curtain, lets this servant see that the army of the Arameans was small compared to the armies of God. And see, this very moment, Elisha's confidence was rooted in the power of God. He understood that, that God had his back, God had his sides, and God was the one leading him forward. He was completely surrounded by the armies of the Lord. And at this moment, the servant realized, I have nothing to fear. I have nothing to fear because I'm surrounded by God. What I learned from all of this from the apostles that went out by the 72 and came back amazed at what could be happening in the power of Jesus' name. And what I learned from what happens in the book of Acts when they realize the power of Jesus' name is something to be honored and held up high. What I learned when I look at this, when, I, when the awareness of what's actually going on in the spiritual realm gave encouragement to the servant. I come to these three things. That in Jesus' name, we have power to do his great work. We have power to do his great work. Whatever God's called you to do, if you're doing it in Jesus' name, he gives you power to do it. Secondly, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, we have hope for eternity. And that matters in the present. When things are going very difficult and, and perhaps you're on, death, on the deathbed at, at the end of your life, when we know that he's got eternity in his hands and we're his child, that's a game changer in our hope in the moment, in Jesus' name. And lastly, in Jesus' name, because we're a child of God, we're surrounded not by the enemy, but we're surrounded by the power of God in Jesus' name. We are called children of God. In Jesus' name, we know we have an ambassador, an advocate, bending the right ear of God. In Jesus' name, we have hope that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life and therefore have hope for eternity. But in Jesus' name, until that moment is realized, we know that we have victory each and every day, even if it feels like we are surrounded by the enemy. And so in Jesus' name, I ask, Father God,
that you would do a mighty work in our lives, that we begin to believe in faith, that you're the victorious king, not a defeated king. You're not at the mercy of the evil one's actions, but rather you will, in the end of the day, thwart every single thing he's tried to accomplish. And so, God, I don't know where there might be battles that are being waged in the individual lives that are here. But I ask that maybe today you pulled the curtain back a little bit for them to be able to see that you are there, you are present, and that we don't have to fear the enemy. May that happen in our eyes, in the hearts among us all, to be like that servant with Elisha, realizing there's reason to be calm because you are a big God and your army is more than twice the size of his. It's only two-thirds of the angels that, that one-third of the angels that went with the enemy, two-thirds stayed with you. That right there should give us confidence to know we're with the greater army. But it doesn't even matter that two-thirds stay with you. We have you. And because we also have your son's name written on our hearts and minds, we have confidence to enter into the battles that we face each day. So in Jesus' name, may we discover the victory in our lives and may you, through Jesus' name, help us to be ambassadors of healing and, and setting free of darkness, just like I observed with those, that married couple that prayed over that girl. May we be ambassadors of your love and your power in Jesus' name. Amen. If you do not know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, or you don't know that you're his child, I would ask for you to come to know him this morning. We have people over here underneath the cross who would be glad to pray with you. If you're brought by somebody, perhaps they could pray with you. But we want you to know the power of Jesus' name personally. Not just know about him, but to know him. And for those of you that know him, walk in confidence that you're surrounded by the winning army. Amen. Go in God's peace.